So as Ian's already said, we've been following this series on the extravagance of God. And after a morning where we've had baptisms and two such powerful testimonies, I don't think I'm really going to have too much difficulty in, in convincing you that we have an extravagantly joyful God. I'll try, yes. <laughs> the amazing thing about Catherine's testimony is as I was praying for it, I was also praying in my head saying, God, I really don't feel like I've got much faith at the moment for healing. It's amazing what God does when we kind of get out of the way of him. <laughs> like I say, this morning I'm going to be talking to you about extravagant joy. Paul says in Romans that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy is right up there. We have an extravagantly joyful God. Jesus was filled with joy, and the Holy Spirit longs to fill us with that same joy. Now, as I was preparing this, I was looking for various different definitions of what joy means. The one that comes closest to what I was wanting to say was a definition that John Piper has written, and that is that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and the world. Joy is a feeling. We sometimes get a bit wary of feelings in church, don't we? Because emotions can sometimes lead us a bit astray. But God is interested in our feelings. And like I say, God is so interested in our feelings that we are commanded to be joyful. We are commanded to, be, to rejoice. Joy is not just a cosy option for, for some Christians. It's not something for the flaky Christians who need something nice. Joy is something that God desires for each of us. It's something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. And it is rooted in the beauty of Christ. It is rooted in the work of Christ. We're going to have a look at um, a Bible passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls i think glorious and inexpressible joy comes into the term extravagant doesn't it (laughs) so i always think it would have been nice if you know the moment we become christians God would just flick a switch and all those negative emotions would just go. That we could actually just sail through life in this state of elation. Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't quite made that. (laughs) And actually, when we look at Jesus, Jesus didn't live like that either. Jesus was filled with joy, and the Bible tells us that regularly. But we also see that Jesus faced other emotions just as we did. Jesus wept with grief when Lazarus died. 
even though he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, he was still affected by grief. And we also see in the Garden of Gethsemane that at that point, Jesus faced absolute dread. Not fear of the unknown that we often succumb to, but dread. He knew what he was facing in the next few days. He knew the agony of the crucifixion. He knew the betrayal of his friends. He knew the humiliation. And he knew that he was going to be separated from God. And that caused him absolute distress. But even in that time, we see that glimpse of the joy that he had. Jesus' joy was in his father. He was absolutely delighted by his father. And it was that deep-rooted joy that went underneath all that other emotion that gave him the strength to say, your will, not mine. And Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Joy is where we find our strength. Joy in the Lord is our strength. And we too have a joy set before us. There will be a time when Jesus returns, when he will wipe away every tear. He will take away all sadness. He will take away all sickness. He will take away death, anxiety, depression. All the things that currently challenge our joy will be done away with. And it is important that we keep our eyes fixed on that. Just as Jesus kept his eyes fixed on the joy set before him, we need to keep our eyes fixed on that time. And Paul tells us that we need to encourage ourselves in that and we need to encourage one another in that. But we're not there yet. We currently live in a world that is desperately seeking happiness. When I was... uh, preparing this, I thought, I'll follow the lead of many a good preacher and turn to Google. And I put in, how do I feel more joy? There are hundreds, (laughs) there are hundreds of websites dedicated to how we can feel happier. And all sorts of different bits of advice in there. One of them was, add happiness to your life. Not quite as helpful as I would like. Another one was have a happy state of mind. Uh, Well, I can tell you how this will go with me. I'd wake up in the morning, and well, actually, that's the first stumbling block, because I'm never good when I first wake up, but I'd wake (laughs) We we don't need heckling. (laughs) Once I've woken up and got over that, and yeah, psych myself up, right, going to be a good day. It's going to be a happy day. Do you know how long it would last? Till I get downstairs, see the sea of Rice Krispies over the kitchen floor, and that would be it. But some of the suggestions that came up were far more sensible things. Having a good work-life balance, eating healthily, exercise, getting enough sleep, all good sensible things that I would recommend we do, and things that I sometimes try to do as well. But what is the effect of those? They probably make us feel a bit better. They probably feel, make us feel a little bit more in control of things. They probably make us a bit more content. But are we willing to settle for that when God is offering us extravagant joy? Those things will not bring us to that point of extravagant joy. And when we look at this passage, Peter isn't talking 
about the hope set before us on the other side of eternity. He's talking about now. He says, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. He doesn't say you will be. He says you are. This is a promise for now. We still live in a world where suffering is immense. But we also live in a, jo- in a world where <laughs> inexpressible and glorious joy are possible. Now, in my head, those two are not compatible. Suffering and joy don't go together. In my head, that's illogical and it's not possible. But the good news is, I have not found a verse in the Bible that says that God is confined to human logic. He is over and above that. His ways are higher than our ways. His mysteries are things that we do not understand. And it is one of the great mysteries of God that in him it is possible to have suffering and extravagant joy. But that's the key thing. It's in him that we find that joy. Peter describes this joy as glorious. I can't summon anything glorious up myself. If we are to have glorious joy, it needs to come from the one who is glorious. It needs to come from the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is available to all of us through the Holy Spirit. But it's the result of a relationship. We can't just come and say, right, Holy Spirit, can, I hide, can you download my joy for today? That's not how it works. As we come and as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, he produces that fruit in us. And he keeps producing it as we keep coming back to him. As we look at the word and we allow him to show us Jesus. As we experience Jesus in our lives, he, that joy grows through that connection with him. It's not about quick fixes. It's about that relationship. David in Psalm 16 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. David knew where to go for fullness of joy. And he then says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David knew that the place to get true pleasure, true delight, true joy was in the presence of God. And that that presence, sorry, and that joy would last forever. There is enough in Jesus for that, for that joy to last forever. There is more of Jesus than we have experienced. And as the Holy Spirit reveals more after more after more of that revelation of Jesus, that joy will keep on going. A couple of weeks ago, Keith and I went to see the film Bohemian Rhapsody, which, according to Facebook, a lot of you have also seen. <laughs> this, is the, this is the story of Queen and Freddie Mercury. And there's a point in the film, and I won't give you any spoilers, don't worry, but you probably would know this if you were going. There's a point in the film where Queen have made it big. They're travelling the world. They're getting um, audiences that are record in size, record sales. Everything is going amazingly for them. And you see them on the stage just loving the performing. And Freddie Mercury's there, and he's, he's one of these performers that just has the audience eating out of his hand, and there's all this interaction going on, and you see him in this absolute state of euphoria. 
And then there's another scene where he's at home and he's throwing this flamboyant party. Anyone and everyone is there. But he doesn't look particularly happy in this party. And somebody says to him, why are you doing this? You're filling your house with people you either don't know or don't like. And his response to that is, I need to fill in the gaps. That euphoria that that he experienced was not enough to fill in the gaps. The pleasures that the world gives us are not enough to fill in the gaps. And when we start looking to the world for, for pleasure, we will start finding ourselves wanting. We'll, we'll start getting that mentality of, I'll be happy when. Now, how many students at the moment are thinking, I'll be happy when I've got that assignment finished. Or in a couple of months' time, I'll be happy when I've graduated. And then we think, I'll be happy when I've got a job. I'll be happy when I've got that promotion. I'll be happy when I've found the right person, when I get married. I'll be happy when we have children. Couldn't possibly say we'll be happy when they leave home. <laughs> I'll be happy when we retire. <laughs> and okay, that, that's quite an exaggeration. But there are times when we can always be looking for the next thing to fulfill that happiness. We need to be looking to Jesus for that. He is the only one who is going to give us that joy forevermore. He's the only one that has enough. And when we start looking to the things of the world, we'll find ourselves lacking. Of course, there are, there are things that we are meant to enjoy in this world. I mean, the fact is, we're a church. We're meant to love each other. And I think that means we're probably meant to enjoy each other as well. We have family that we enjoy, husbands, wives, friends. We are meant to enjoy one another's company. But when we expect our joy to be complete in another person, they will let us down. Every person around us is as imperfect as we are. And when we're looking to them for that joy, we're asking them to do something that they were never intended to do. The only one who can take that responsibility for that, giving us that level of joy is Jesus. Jesus described the kingdom of God as a pearl beyond price. The thing that when, when the person spotted it, they went out, they sold everything so that they could purchase this. It was so valuable. It was so beautiful to them. Jesus looked at us and he gave up everything. He looked at us and the value that he placed on us was his life. He made you his treasure. He made you that pearl beyond price, that thing that when he looks at, he wanted so much that he was willing to give up everything. That's how much Jesus wants relationship with us. Do we see Jesus in that way? Have we made him our treasure? Is he the thing that we see as being far more precious than anything else around us? Paul says, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. The worth of Jesus is so much more. And David, again in Psalm 16, declares, I have no good apart from you. How often do we lose sight of Jesus in that way? We're honest, probably on a daily basis. We need to keep coming back and placing Jesus as that, as that 
prized possession, as that treasure in our lives. But you know what? When we do lose sight of Jesus in that way, there isn't condemnation. There is grace. Because we have the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal Jesus to us. So when we get to that point, we think, yeah, I've I've lost my focus. I've lost seeing Jesus in that way. We can come back to the Holy Spirit and just say, help me. Help me to do that. Reveal Jesus to me afresh. Each day, we need to come back to him and say, show me Jesus today. Show me Jesus now. Because otherwise, we will lose sight of him. And we'll start looking to other things. And then when they start filling up our eyes, we lose sight of him even more. So we need to keep coming back constantly and saying, show me Jesus. We need to keep coming back to his word and saying, show me Jesus in the word. Show me Jesus in the people around me. Show me Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, Jesus changes in our sight. When we look at him through that lens of the Holy Spirit, he becomes magnified. It is then that our our joy is placed in Jesus. It's placed in what he did for us on the cross. It was placed in the fact that we are in relationship with him. That we are covered by his grace. That he no longer counts our sins against us. That we have that promise of eternity with him. David also goes on to say, I have set the Lord always before me. David knew that God needed to be his treasure. He knew that God needed to be put first. And that's, an, that's a conscious decision that we need to put Jesus first. We need to make that declaration. After David has said that, he then says, Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. When we put Jesus first, we become so much more aware of his presence around us. It's not that we earn his presence. We have his presence anyway. But when we put him there, when we put him first, that is when we step in. It's almost like we wake up to that presence around us. We become more aware of his love for us. We become more aware of how he sees us. We become more aware of who he is. That raises our faith. That raises our confidence in him. And then, like David, we can also say, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And following on from that, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Our rejoicing is the overflow of our joy in worship. It's something that Paul tells us time and time again to do. In fact, he's, it's, it's the... He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is so important. When we rejoice, we are making a declaration. We are making a declaration that Jesus is first in our lives. We are making that declaration that he is Lord of all. Sometimes that's hard. When we're in the midst of suffering, it is hard to do that, to rejoice. We need to call on the Holy Spirit to help us. But when 
we do that, we are declaring that he is sovereign over all our circumstances. That Jesus is sovereign. This raises our faith. That raises our joy. And our our rejoicing increases. This command comes time and time again in the Bible. We are called to rejoice. We are called to be people of extravagant joy. Would the uh, band come back up, please? (laughs) David also said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sometimes it feels like joy is something so fleeting, something that we maybe haven't experienced for a long time. Sometimes we can, we can believe the lie that joy is not for us, that we're not capable of feeling joy, that joy is just for other people. But God wants each of us to know that extravagant joy. So, this morning, if, if that is you, if you are feeling that actually the cry of your heart is restore to me the joy of my salvation, we would love to stand with you in prayer and pray for you. And we're going to go back into worship in a moment. Would you do business with the Holy Spirit this morning? Would you ask him to come and reveal Jesus to you in all his fullness? And as he does that, would you receive his joy from him? He wants to fill you with joy. So ask him this morning. Sometimes we don't have simply because we don't ask. Ask this morning for that joy.